Hello, and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. I'm Colin. And I'm Andrew. All right, and I started with the wrong button there, but it's it's all good. Um, so, yeah, we're excited to have you guys here tonight. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to show up uh, and be with us. Uh, we're going to hang out and chat and just talk about all kinds of cool stuff. Um, Andrew and Colin, for those of you who don't know, work on Ruby Radar newsletter. So if you haven't signed up for that, uh, links are in the description. Uh, you can go there and sign up. It's a really good newsletter. So if you're into Ruby at all, you really should go check that out. Uh, before we get into the meat of tonight, Preston, how was your week, man? Very hectic. I've been doing a lot of different stuff. Some of the things I'll, I'll, I'll mention for here is that uh, working on one client to do a uh, Postgres upgrade, a multi-terabyte Postgres upgrade for actually two databases that are like that. Ouch. Um, working on for another client on continuing to do the into big int transition. So basically, I do the testing in a copy production. I do implementation in their staging environment and next is the production so basically they have a primary key that'll run out eventually hit, hit the two billion mark so convert that to a big end so that limitation's gone away also dealing with the interesting thing that actually perplexed me but i figured out what it was i helped automate a restore process so basically for one client we have a dedicated box that's set up to automate automatically restore a copy of the production database to another server on a weekly basis. And as a check to see that the restore was successful, there's, we pull back, do a query and pull back like the last update date on some key tables. And what's interesting or what was confusing is that these queries were timing out saying it was conflicting with recovery. Now that type of recovery, normally I'm used to seeing that in a replica. So I said, I kept on thinking it has to do with replication, Postgres replication. But no, what happens is, is that it was running that query before the recovery had fully complete. So the database had come up to the point where it can run that query, but it was still recovering sufficient that it was timing out queries. That's a little esoteric, but... <laughs> That's some stuff I've been looking into this week. Fun. Well, you've had excitement. Colin, what about you? Yeah, um, let's see. This week, uh, actually earlier today, I pushed a final edit on a, a PR for uh, the page gym, uh that Chris Oliver had created. Um, we were trying to, I was writing a, uh, a I was trying to write a scope to query uh, JSON column some models which i got working pretty quickly actually and then pushed it up and then of course like all the tests on ci failed and we're running against multiple databases on ci there right so then i was trying to alter the query to be able to run on like my sql sqlite and postgres and they don't it doesn't all play nicely um there's some new updates from my SQL side of things to where they had now have like the arrow syntax that you can use in Postgres. Yeah. But um, my SQL requires you to do like the, um, 
like the dollar sign dot prefix on like a, a key name or whatever, you know, like on the JSON column. Postgres doesn't like that. So uh, I ended up having to, you know, like, I ended up getting it, you know, something working, but I ended up having to check, you know, the, what the database connection adapter is. And then, you know, based off of that, alter the query or like pick which query to run, but uh, got it working, but it was, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting dig, but I'm, I'm happy to have some working code out there right now. So awesome. But yeah, overall good week. Yeah. Those are always fun. Yes. It's working. You put it up to the CI and everything goes red and you're like, Oh God. Oh yeah, totally. That was definitely my reaction too. And then when it, <laughs> when I realized I was like, Oh no, I have to shape this for every different database. No, like <laughs> this is not going to be fun. But, I was uh, feeling so good. Yeah, and totally. you, you're probably thinking, what happened to the SQL standard? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was cool. It was a good learning experience. Cool. Andrew, how about you, man? Uh, it's been a busy, busy week. Uh, it was, we've been launching things at Podia. Um, and they, for the most part, have been really, really great. Perfect. Things are going out. Not any big problems, but what I am now dealing with before we do a full on launch to everyone, there's like little edge cases here and there, right? Rollbar or Honey Badger is pinging a little bit here and there, and we just want to knock a few of those out. So I've been doing some edge case uh, investigation, which is sometimes really rewarding and sometimes not. Uh, but <laughs> we've, uh, I think we're, things are going good. So I'm very excited to kind of complete this launch next week. Awesome. Well, that's, that is exciting. Big launches are stressful, but feel really good when you get them done. Oh, yeah. um, so I'm going to, I'll tell you about my week, but first, hi, Brittany. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. Um, so I have had um, just crazy week. It's been a lot of research into weird edge case issues that have popped up in production. Um, we recently put out, um, rolled out the Ruby 3.1 upgrade that we had done to production. We spent a long time going through crap tons of tests and everything to make sure all that double splat stuff was taken care of and all the, you know, all the weird mess and seemed to be pretty good. But as you know, as soon as you put something in production, somebody finds the edge case. <laughs> so, you know, and, and usually it's like, late at night on a Saturday that they find it and it's a huge emergency. So, you know, I, I spent a good amount of weekend <laughs> working and debugging stuff, but, but it's all good. You know, it could have been way worse. So, you know, it was fundamentally sound, but there were some edge cases that just happened to hit at, at the wrong times. All under control now. So that's, that's a happy thing. All right. Is it, is it actually rolled out yet? Or not quite? Not quite. There's okay. some, some fixings I got to do. Um, so that's probably what's on my plate for tomorrow. But it'll... Simple fixes. There was a couple places, I think, where the double splats got missed. But they were independency gems, not the main stuff. So kind of one of those things where you get these nested errors in the call stack and you're like holy crap it came from way in there huh those are lots of fun um all right so uh what i want to would like to start with tonight is we've had andrew on the show before and we're happy 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 to have you back man 
appreciate that. Uh, but we've never gotten to talk to Colin. So, Colin, I want to find out a little bit about you, man. Uh, so tell me a little bit, as much as you can, without violating any NDAs, about where you work, assuming you have any. I, I've got a bunch, so I always have to be really careful. But um, no, where do you work? What do you do? What's, what's your what's your jam with the Ruby stuff? Sure. Yeah, no NDAs over here yet. So uh, I think I can speak pretty freely. Cool. Uh, currently, I work uh, at Go Rails with Chris Oliver, um, you know, helping him out, work on... Uh, like I mentioned earlier, pay a lot of the other open source gems he has, uh, do some work on Jumpstart too. And also um, every now and then occasionally publish a little screencast for the GoRails site. Um, so yeah, that's, I started working there in January of this year. Uh, this is actually my second uh, programming job. I started programming or learning to program in November of 2019. Uh, I went through a 10 month boot camp program and then after that ended that ended in October I believe of the following year and I got my first job programming in January of last year so spent um, just about a year there uh, before I got the opportunity to go and join Chris uh, as the first you know full-time employee of go rails other than himself so um, awesome. yeah that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell that's fun. So let me ask you, what what attracted you to Ruby as opposed to going to .NET or some of the other big languages? Funny you should mention .NET because when I was trying to find a Ruby job, <laughs> the boot camp I went to, they were trying to shove me to go learn .NET because it's popular down here. And uh, I live in Louisiana, so it's uh, apparently popular down here. But I was like, I'm not doing that. I just spent <laughs> 10 months you know, learning, learning Ruby. And I, I, I loved Ruby. I, I don't know what it is. Um, I just really just fell in love with it. It read very nicely. Like I understood it very easily, you know, so it was um, quite smooth for me to pick it up. And um, in the boot camp, one of like the little lessons that we were reading, it had like some links to, you know, some further readings on a, on a subject. Uh, if you wanted, you know, if you had some free time to dig in some more. One of those was uh, the link to uh, Wise Pointing Guide to Ruby. And so, like, I, I think I read through that over, like, I don't know, maybe the course of, like, two weeks. And that just really, like, solidified my love for Ruby because I was like, man, this this wacky character, why? And this, when all the characters in the book, like, this is great. You know, like, this is if this is how the community is, like, I, I definitely want to hang out here. Yeah. So, that yeah, that pretty much um, the combination of just really – falling uh in love at first sight for lack of a better term and then you know just like reading the why book and you know seeing some other people you know on twitter uh that were part of the community it all just it just felt right to me so yeah i wanted to pursue that as my career going forward cool yeah i miss why i, I wish he was still around he was a lot of fun uh, yeah, one did, of, have you ever get have you ever met him were you uh, i never got a chance to meet him no no Unfortunately, I would have loved to, um, yeah. you know, saw him, saw him speak over the internet during a, a live cast once, but he was always just cool. a real bright spot in the community. Sure. A lot yeah. of fun. And that's, yeah, that's one I, of the best Ruby books. It's fun, right? Yeah. It's super cool. Um, so, and you know, on that subject, Andrew, I don't think we even asked you last time, what drew you to Ruby over all the other really huge languages 
circumstance and then love. Uh, so I was in college, when I first discovered Ruby, I was in college, I was writing Java and writing PHP. Um, I was starting to get into VR development. So I was starting to learn Unity and C Sharp. And I took an internship at a graphic design company because I was trying to start my own web design like side hustle to earn some cash. And I was like, my designs are trash. They're awful. And I was like, so I need to learn design, took a design class. And that teacher thought I was talented and referred me to a company in town looking for interns. And that was a rail shop. So as soon as uh, someone in the technology department heard that there was someone in the design pit who knew how to write HTML and they needed something done the developers weren't interested in doing, <laughs> he walked right up to my desk and said, <laughs> you know HTML, I have a job for you. And that's, uh, they, they brought me on as a tech intern the following semester and they were a rail shop. And that's when I was like, wow, I've been writing Java. I've been writing Python, which I, to be fair, Python was fine, but Java and PHP. And I was like, maybe being a programmer isn't for me. Like, I really love being, I love programming. I was like, maybe it's not for me. Cause I don't like doing this. And I found Ruby and I was like, wow, uh, suddenly I love it again. Yeah. It, it is a very nice language for readability understandability. I like the fact that most times I can make an object and say, gosh, I wish I could do this. If I were to do this, how would I do it? And I put dot, pick some name and I'm usually right. You know? Right. That's yeah. I, I also, I agree. Like, especially like for someone new, just in programming in general, like that was a, a huge, I was just like, yeah, it probably, it probably exists. If it doesn't, it at least gives me like something good to search and I'll find the answer to like yeah. what I actually should be using. Yeah, so it's just a beautiful language for readability. I had a curiosity going back to the boot camp. So, speaking to chicken versus egg, did you purposefully choose a Ruby based boot camp or you just choose, chose a boot camp and it happened to be Ruby? Um, that's a good question. I actually did pick that boot camp because they taught Ruby and I didn't know anything about it. I, when I was considering going to the boot camp, I think I stumbled upon like the DHH like blogging kind of 15 minutes kind mm -hmm. of video, right? Okay, I so you had that, some. I learned that that was Ruby on Rails. Okay. I didn't know what that meant, you know. Okay. Um, but I saw that on the curriculum for the boot camp, and I was like, yeah, I, I want to do that because that that seems right to me. It, it feels good. So. Okay. Cool. So and chat, same question for you. Um, you know, if you're out there and want to share, what drew you to Ruby as a language as opposed to all the other languages that are out there? Because, you know, there's one or two other languages besides Ruby. Um, what made you what them. made you like Ruby? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's really cool. And and I guess, Colin, you've kind of we were hanging out on the Zoom before the show and chatting. Um Shopify was hiring in my town. Well, that's a good reason. Hey, welcome to the show. There you go. <laughs> um, and I needed a job. Maybe. Yep, that'll do it. Uh, your boot camp. Yeah, that. There were a lot of those. Uh, I used to go to the bar camp Orlando's when they had them down here. Um, many, many, many moons ago. Um, and that's kind of what got me into it. Introduced by a friend, and then said, "Hey." Go to this Ruby user group meeting, saw a little bit of code from there. I was like, oh my God, 
because I was writing Delphi at the time, Turbo Pascal. Um, he said, uh, hey, why don't you come to this bar camp thing? I was just downtown. They kind of close off downtown and set up lots of things in the bars across downtown, lots of talks and stuff. And I was like, wow, that's a really good time in a fun community. So screw Delphi. <laughs> I'm going this route. Um, yeah, and, and I blame this guy up here is the reason why I'm doing it. Yeah. Of course, it, this has been a much better path than uh, I knew Cold Fusion at the time. So I was potentially going to start the company using Cold Fusion. Oh. See, I don't even know what Cold Fusion is. So <laughs> probably good. Yeah, good the, you didn't yeah, choose it. I know the term, but I don't think it's hey, the well, programming language. <laughs> it's, it's imagine like PHP where every stuff, everything is built in the pages themselves. That's. What if I don't want to imagine PHP. that? <laughs> well, I mean, antiquated PHP, basically. Yeah. But it's a it was a proprietary thing, not far from far from open uh, source. Did y'all ever use Ruby Server Edition or whatever? I I think that's what it was called. The oh Enterprise Edition, Enterprise. Ruby Enterprise Edition. I never that was did. The Microsoft no. thing, right? I don't even really know what it does. Or was Mike, the Microsoft one was like the Iron Ruby or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Iron yeah. Ruby. That sounds right. Um, no, I never used any, I've, I've never used any of the flavors other than just plain old Ruby, well, Ruby on rails, but that's the framework, the language I've only just Ruby. I, I never, you know, like J Ruby and iron Ruby and all that stuff. I was just like, why, why would I do that to myself? That's <laughs> I'm trying to get away from the .NET stuff. Why would I go back there? Right. Um, and I, I had poked around in Java and like you, I was like, oh, no, thanks. I don't, I don't want to live in that world. Um, so yeah, I was like, why, why would I want to change? I mean, Ruby's perfectly fine. Why, why mess with it? You know? Um, yeah. They, the funny part about why they taught us Java is because they wanted us to learn OOP and I did not understand OOP until I learned Ruby. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, now I understand OOP. And now I understand all these things that I like have been doing for the past four years, just not knowing what I'm doing. Yeah. And, well, part of that is because Ruby actually is OOP. Everything is an object. Java isn't, you know, there's, that's not the case for Java. So um, yeah, it's, it's fun though. I, I actually, like you said, I like, I, I enjoy programming in Ruby because you can do things really quickly just through intuition, you know, a lot of other languages it's, Oh gosh, I need to do this. Well, I better go do some research on Google to figure out how you do that kind of thing. I don't even know where to start researching Ruby. It's like, I take a best guess at a method name and most of the time it's right. You know, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, so Colin, you've expressed some interest in the, in the zoom chat, before the show about um, SQL and database stuff, what's what's kind of your interest there? What what's drawing you to that? Uh, I I just find it interesting. I I, I really couldn't put a, a pin in why I do. I, I I just find it very interesting. I've I've done a few uh, you know courses to try and grow that pure SQL knowledge, uh, but you know I don't use it often enough to like really retain it. So I end up finding myself like, uh, circle back to that thing again. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just interested. I, I, when 
I see people who are really good at it. I'm just always astonished. And I know Crescent's, uh, you know, pretty much wizard level. I, I think that's safe to say with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm kind of actually just curious to find out like about Crescent, like how you ended up kind of specializing. I, is that even safe to, to say that you kind of specialize in that area? Yeah. I mean, well, so the reality is, is that, I went to school to be a biologist, including being in a PhD program that I pulled the parachute on to get out of early. <laughs> but in that process, um, my when I went for my first job, I learned systems administration. So I was deploying desktops for people and whatnot. So I had my first exposure was systems administration, so nothing having to do with programming. And I actually didn't think I liked programming all that much. I mean, I'm really a gadget guy. I like like getting a new box with a new computer or even just a printer. That was just the coolest thing to me and unpacking and plugging it in and finding all the different features and stuff. Anyway, in my evolution of the job, I did a migration. They said, hey, why don't you we're going to put you in charge of this year 2000 project. And in the process of that, I had to learn a lot. I basically became the database administrator just because I couldn't find someone for it. So I basically leveraged my systems administration skills to say, all right, now I'm managing a database, but that also gave me access to an SQL prompt and then started being to explore the data understand how that all interacted so like i was writing reports and things of that nature and answering questions that people had with regard to the data so that data exploration is kind of how i cut my teeth and got to learn sql really well and then it was on from that that i only then that i kind of went into programming so really I've come at it from a systems administrator to a database administrator to learning the data, writing SQL to then to programming. So not a lot of people have that path. So I think that's why um, like people perceive or may say, hey, you're a wizard level at <laughs> SQL. It's because, of, I mean, there's plenty of data scientists I'm sure that can whip up like window functions faster than I can. But um, yeah, but my particular skill that I've done a lot of, spent a lot of time is performance management. So, you know. Which nowadays has become kind of the big deal for databases um, because the, you know, as SaaS apps go up and the everything's online now, you have to get a lot of performance through. I mean, as soon as you go for that, that, as soon as you go multi gigabyte into the terabyte territory, if you're not accessing your data fast, you will have a slow app no matter what you do. So. Cool. Um, I have another question for you. Okay. So I know you have another, uh, like a bunch of um, courses and you have a, like a series that you, of like screencasts that you put out too around the stuff? So I have a little, and it, trust me, it's little, it's a free little SQL bootcamp, but that's just yeah. basically for getting your, feet wet. So that's, mm -hmm. that's on my website. But the other thing I do is scaling Postgres, which is a weekly show. Um, but even that is pretty in depth. 
but if if people watch it they can just get a little bit of hit of database every week to try and learn a little bit more because what i do is i look at all the content produced in a week and i i don't make it explicit for every episode but essentially every episode i put the what i feel is the most important or the most interesting content of the week mm-hmm. is the first item so even if you want to hang around or just look at the first link or two you'll essentially get from me a curated best content of the week to kind of look at and understand gotcha yeah because i was going to ask um because i want to check out super i wanted to ask you like what you what would you recommend as a good starting point for someone to like check out one of your courses or jump into your weekly things that you put it put out you know like should i start at the boot camp like if I was going to go over there, should I start with the well, bootcamp? I mean, this the, the bootcamp. I mean, it's really more of a name moniker. Moniker. Uh-huh. It's really sure. just like I don't know if it's like ten minutes, five or six lessons or something. Um, yeah, but the the scaling postgres is the weekly thing, and all of it right now is free. I've I've toyed with doing a paid course at some point, but I haven't. I'm so busy with it, other stuff going on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> time to try to do stuff like that. Sure. Carson, I was just saying, whenever you do create that paid course, you might be interested in a little product called Podia to oh, launch okay. that paid I course. It. I knew it. <laughs> you can talk to your boy. I'll help you out. <laughs> but I am definitely going to check this out too. Post- SQL in general is something that I obviously was able to avoid because I use Rails and Rails has magic keywords and they just produce things. Um, out of the database somehow. But recently, uh, I have been trying to ex- lessen that fear of just hopping into a SQL terminal and just like, all right, I need to figure this out somehow. Let's just start doing it. So uh, it's it's difficult, but it's somewhat, it's fun when it works. I'll say that. But when it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, what I think and, you, know if, oh, go ahead. you know, that's something that you could do on your own. So like if you're working in the terminal, in, in a Rails console, I should say, whenever you're writing something, it tr- tells you the exact query that it's doing. So if you want to get a little better learning and interpreting that, you could just say, hey, I wrote this. What is it actually sending to the database? And then you right. can kind of get a sense of, and then you can just modify it. Like, no, I want to do a pluck instead of pulling back all the IDs, for example. And how does that query look different or not? So that's a way to just learn on your own, just as you're doing normal work, just saying, hey, what's a SQL query doing? So Andrew, in our Zoom talk, you had mentioned that you were having some fun with some errors this week. Yeah. What's that all about, man? I mean, we, uh, we, we've made some big, I joined Podia in February and, um, since then, I've had a crash course straight into the deep end, which is exactly how I like it, into the world of uh, checkout, online checkout experiences. Because for the past six months, we have been rewriting ours. Um, specifically, me and a coworker named Seb and um, Jason Charns, who y'all may know. And, well, he's been on your show, so I hope you know. Um, uh, but 
we've been working on that and we launched it. It went great. It was fast, clean, turbo. It's got, you know, it's not in a modal anymore. It's, it supports Stripe. It has a Stripe. It's doing Stripe elements. So it's got, you know, Apple Pay, Google Pay. Um, the code is clean. It's, it's awesome. Um, and we've been launching that and we've been tacking on a few more features on top of that. But when you are, you know, we have a, a global user base, right? People all over the world are using our product. And, you know, with that comes a unique set of challenges, uh, specifically as it relates to payments, because Stripe is great for some things, um, but it, it doesn't always get you all the way there. And so when you wind in, up in situations where you're like, okay, Stripe doesn't support this for this country, or Stripe doesn't allow us to like do the thing that we want to do. Um, and then you have all these situations of like different people using different payment methods across different countries tax, VAT, um, you know, all these things are coming into play and you wind up with, you know, the system can be quite complex um, because if you have to deal with all these edge cases, but I think we solved it for like the 90, I would say 99%, 99%, it's perfect. There's that tiny, probably even less than 1% that we're just like, okay, these people are running into a few errors. Like they're like, you can only catch so many things uh, like in development and in QA, right? There's just situations, especially with a user base like we have, where we're not going to be able to find it until it happens. Um, so it's been a long week, but it's been a good week of kind of just, you know, bug comes up, we nail it down. Bug comes up, we nail it down, which is kind of just been a more testament to like us that like the code that we wrote is much better than the old one because debugging this new code, like provided it's something easily debuggable and not like Stripe failed. We don't know why. Um, provided it's not something like that, you know, it's been really nice to kind of iterate and like clean up like some of the small edge cases we've encountered, but being able to do so so quickly without fear of like, oh, will this break our entire business if we change this code? Right. And I think that's a lot of people, especially uh, programmers, um, software engineers, kind of lose sight of the fact that what I'm working on now and what I'm doing now has much bigger impact on how I can deal with it six months from now than it does on what I release tomorrow. If I can't, you know, maintain this and debug it, because as soon as you write anything more complicated than a hello world program, you've got bugs in your code, you know, and you got to You got to have a way to debug it, but you also have to have a way to test it so that like you said, you're not, freaking out every time you change a letter and a code that hey this is going to blow everything up right yeah it's a uh, it's tough but i i think like for me like the marker for me of like okay this is like for the, i feel like the first time ever i'm like i'm actually proud of this code and the reason is because six months ago i did not know rspec I did not know, I'd never used Stripe before. I had never used PayPal before. Um, I had never used Turbo before, you know, and there were all these different, there were some different patterns. Like I just joined Podia, like I'm doing all these new things. Six months later, I feel so confident in my skills around those things that I never knew. Um, so I feel like, you know, just the iteration, like the style of code, like writing we do at Podia, which is a lot of pairing, like it, helps you generate really good code that people understand maybe not and not just you the person who wrote it yeah so that is for sure so all right so that's another another big thing of mine is pair programming I, i'm a huge advocate of that 
Um, so Same. Colin, what, what kind of experiences have you had with pair programming? Sure. Um, my first job was pretty um, limited on the pair programming. Uh, we were a very small team. You know, we started out when I joined, there was three of us. And I think three or four months into me joining, we went down to two. And it was two juniors, myself and like my buddy Steve, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to keep the ship afloat. Uh, and we would we would always try to pair you know, as much as we could, um, but we were both, you know, extremely busy. So like we, we did the best we could. Uh, my current job though, uh, with Chris, I mean, we pair on things all the time and it's great. Um, I, I wish I would, would have done more pairing at my last job, but you know, this, this makes up for it now because I get to pair with Chris all the time. Yeah. So. Well, it's, and, and what do you, what do you see as kind of the benefits of pair programming? Because, you know, honestly, you know, a lot of businesses are going to look at that and say, well, I'm using two people's man hours to do one person's sure. worth of work. So sure. what, what's your, what's your argument to that? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely um, caught typos for Chris and he saved me from some as well, or just, uh, you know, thinking we're on the right track in a flow and then realizing, Oh, actually, wait a second this this thing that we just thought about totally derails the path that we were on like we need to circle back now so like when we get to that point a lot faster but then if i was doing it by myself i'd probably be more inclined to run a lot further with that string you know um than get than it getting caught sooner also um naming things is uh a real nice plus too <laughs> yeah. you know uh it's amazing the conversations that can uh, grow from trying to come up with a good name for something, you know, <laughs> and just also, um, I've learned a lot from Chris about kind of just designing your interface more, you know, if, well, you know, if, if we, if we design like the method signature for this, this way, though, you know, it kind of limits what the end user can do with it down the line. If we open it up and, and say, like, for example, let's, instead of an, a method taking you know, these two arguments, let's open it up so that it can take an array or it can take a block, for example, right? And we can execute down the way. It, it'll be a lot more versatile use for the end user, you know, and, and allow for a better experience on, on their end of things. So those are some of the big things that I've taken away from, um, you know, having paired time with Chris or just anybody in general, you know. Cool. So, and Andrew, I want to get your thoughts too, but while I'm getting your thoughts, chat, what is your answer to the businesses that say, hey, pair programming is just twice as much cost for me to get the same amount of work? What's your answer to that? Um, so, Andrew, what do you think, man? Yeah, I have many thoughts, but first I'll say, Colin, do you remember how we met? Yeah, pairing. Pairing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I offered to pair with anyone on Ruby for Good projects, and he was the only one that said yes. And so that's how we met. <laughs> that's how this whole thing started, and we've been hanging together ever since. Cool. Yep. Um, I would say to that of the question of like a company really questioning it, it's like you're you're looking at the you're evaluating it with the wrong lens, um, because you're only seeing two people working on one thing. And in your mind, two people could be doing two things, which is double the productivity. And now I've cut it in half by pairing. That's not true. 
because when I, number one, like in addition to everything that Colin said, pairing number one will keep me as a really ADHD person actually in my seat. So like automatically you've got product, way more productivity out of me when I'm pairing with someone. Uh, the second is like, there is a, obviously code review should still happen, but there is a degree of code review happening at the same time um, with that collaboration. Uh, the other thing I commonly get stuck on is like, okay, well, I have these options, right? And it's like, which options should I choose? Like there's drawbacks to each of them, pros and cons. Um, and so I get stuck in that thought for a while. And when, and I need to talk it out. And so if you already have someone there to talk it out with, you reduce that feedback loop of just getting it out right there, talking amongst yourselves, um, even if it's just rubber ducking, as the show implies. <laughs> uh, but the other thing is like the quality of code is usually higher. The I think the last thing I'll say is that now you have two engineers that know this code. And now that means there's two people who can fix it later instead of one person who may not be there. You know, so it, I think it helps with the overall quality, um, the maintainability and I, the quality of code that I write in a, in a pairing session is, um, much higher. Yeah. You've touched on a lot of good points there. An important one is you protect yourself from somebody being out with the flu for a week. Yeah. You know? yep. I'm glad you said it. I was going to say the same thing, you know, like if the two people who paired on it, if one's out and the other one has to come back, you save a lot of time. And then having to trace through, you know, and figure out what the hell is even going on, right? They were there for it. So there's that knowledge share there. Yeah. And to give an extreme example of that, uh, my coworker Seb just moved to Japan. Um, I live in Arizona in the United States. Uh, so that means basically around the clock, there are two experts on our checkout code at all times online. So, I mean, when you think about that, because we paired almost the entire time we built this together. so they now you have that too like that's not something like that someone would just evaluating two people to working on one thing would think of like oh now we have two experts that are always online at one time or another and so that means that if there is a bug with our checkout process that affects our income there will be someone to fix it almost always yep so a couple quickly. things from sorry go ahead Brett andrew yeah Oh, I'm saying fix it quickly. Oh, that, yeah. That's the that's the key factor, right? Fix it quickly. Right. Yeah. There's there's a lot of benefits from the pair programming that that aren't immediately available um, or apparent. And when you're looking at it from a business standpoint, um, one of the reasons I brought this question up is because I see a lot of programmers who get confronted with that and say, "Oh gosh, I don't I don't know. I guess you're right." And I I hope we can get to a point where the programmers are adept enough to say, well, yeah, but you're missing all these points here. Um, so uh, let's let's take a look at chat and see what they were saying about it. So uh, Brittany says it's hard to do it 100% of the time, but it's great for teaching, debugging, and rubber ducking. Um, yes, I agree with all those points. And I'd go a little further to say that I don't think it's actually good to do it 100% of the time. I think you need some alone cogitating time between pair sessions. Um, uh, should you be allowed to review a PR that you paired with someone with? That's a good question. Colin, what do you think? I was going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to say no. It's my, that's the first thing that that's my gut feeling is no. Andrew, I'm going to say yes. Okay. Creston. <laughs> it was a bit like saying, 
I wrote this and I endorse this message. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like, eh, I don't know. I mean, you can, but you need to have somebody other than the two that actually wrote it, I think, to approve it if, if you have that many developers. That's my opinion. The, the, the thing I've found for me is it's useful when I put a PR up, let it sit overnight, and then go back and do a review on it myself. That's helpful for me, but I always have somebody who hasn't looked at it do a review, a PR review. Yeah, because um, even that whole thing, like you could be going down one, like if you're a solo developer, you'd be going down one path and decide is it's the right way. You know, I don't know. I think that same dynamic could happen with two people doing something together. They have made decisions that have gone to some other route. But if you have two or three other developers that are reviewing that code, they may have different perspectives of like, oh, did you consider it? You know, so I think there's still benefit to having other people, definitely more people than just the two pairs to have it reviewed and approved or whatever. Yeah. I definitely think there should be more, like, it's definitely way more ideal, right, to have someone not. But I think if you're not the driver, I think it's totally fine to review it, especially like what Chris just said. You know, you go to sleep, you wake up the next morning. Hmm. You know, maybe I rethought about this. And also because you have more familiar with the code, you might be able to think a little bit more clearly on the workflows and any edge cases. So I don't think, I think obviously having someone else review it is more helpful, but I don't think there's any problem with reviewing it if you paired on it. I mean, I do it. Yeah. I don't think it should be disallowed. I don't think that you should be the only person doing it though. Right. For sure. Um, so Drew says, for me, pairing improves knowledge sharing, especially senior junior. I've also found it improves code quality via reduced assumed knowledge. Um, yes, I love doing junior senior pairs. That's my my favorite type of pair programming. Not only because as a senior programmer, I get to mentor a junior programmer, which I really enjoy doing. I like to teach and, and mentor. Um, but I have found through doing that that I actually learn a whole lot of stuff from the junior programmer because they don't come with all the the baggage of assumptions that I've developed over 27 years of programming. So they help me see things with fresh eyes and I end up learning a lot there. So it's it's kind of good to rejuvenate senior programmers in that pairing as well. Um, and and the, the knowledge sharing is just, it's phenomenally important. Um, especially for cases like you said, if somebody's out with the flu, well, okay, now I have to go learn their code. And by the time I've learned it, they're back. Well, no, I can just, I was there when it was written, so I know what it is, you know. Um, that's huge. And that's a, that's a big deal for business because efficiency is, is an enormous thing, especially when you're working in an agile environment. Uh, if you're not efficient, you can't do agile. Um like Colin said, naming things. Yes, naming things sucks. I hate that so much, but having two people doing it is way better. Um, hey, Julie, welcome to the show. Um, I paired with someone on a ticket and drove it, but I did not review it because I'm the junior. The other person was a senior. Yeah, and and I mean, it's it's fine to not review it. Like Like I said, I do it just because... After, you know, yesterday me didn't catch something that today me can after a good night's sleep. Uh, but I, I'm never the one that actually does the final approval of my own code. Um, <laughs> do not cite the deep magic to me. Right? Um, <laughs> I was there when it was written. Yes. Yay. 
you you win chat tonight. Um. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you reviewed it, but yeah, you're right. The, the formal review approval process was. I get it. Yep. Um. But yeah, I think that's still. I even like to do that once I've put it up in a PR and look at it in GitHub rather than looking at it in my development environment because I find that I it, it context switches my brain and I end up catching more things there because it's just a different view of it. So, hundred percent. Um. All right. So. What other kinds of things do you guys have on your brains to talk about? I'll actually share a little thing. Earlier, we were talking about some uh, OOP a little bit. Um, I've been trying to get better at OOP. One of the things I actually started doing that I found was quite fun. It's like, you know, they have like these code war sites and like leak codes and things like this, right? And usually the idea is like, write the shortest little thing like most efficient thing possible to get it passing i've actually started like switch like i kind of like blew that away completely and now i try and write things like as object oriented as possible like i'll look at the like problem like the description right and try and be like okay like uh okay i got see i got like a bus that's picking up people right at each stop and some get on some get off so it's like what's the object here under underline and like how can I create this problem, like solve this problem in an object-oriented way? It's just something, I don't know, like, I don't, I'm probably not the first person ever to do those things that way, but I thought it was cool to, uh, like, a cool approach to solving those things. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's really fun. And I like, I like those kind of challenge type things, especially when you can do it in a group environment where, not necessarily competitive, but, like, here's the, the solution I came up with. Well, here's mine. Okay, let's compare and contrast and see what good parts each one has. Um, yeah. Some, some of those things are fascinating, right? But it's like, well, that's really cool you did that in like six characters, but I, it's unreadable. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. like, I don't even know what the hell's going on. I feel there. called out, honestly. <laughs> honestly. Feels like an attack. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you know, in past shows, I have railed against the programmers that just get too clever for themselves and say, I can do that and I can name that tune in one line. I'm like, oh boy. Um, hey, Kevin. No comment. The show. Uh, someone with a bit more experience. It's great pairing with someone more early career, but more experienced in that area of the code. Gives them confidence in leading technical conversations. Absolutely. Um, I love to um, let the, the junior developer kind of lead the show and drive. Um, it's a because they end up coming up with a lot of ideas that I never would have thought of because they're looking at it with fresher eyes than I did. I'm already, I'm already old and grumpy and jaded and I'm going to look at code the way I look at code. Damn it. Um, so it's, you know, it's nice to have a first set of eyes saying, Hey, what about this angle? Oh, you know? and then I can stop being grumpy for a minute or two. Oh, um, <laughs> So I, while I've got some chat here, and you guys too, um, and thanks for being here, chat. That it, it, It's really nice to have uh, chat going on um, and help drive some of this. And it's, uh, I'm, 
I'm loving that you people are here. This is really fun. And one of the reasons we started this show is so that we could have live conversations with lots of people more than could actually be on Zoom with us. So, uh, love that. Uh, welcome, James. Um, so, I've been thinking about, um, after the, the conversation with Brittany last week and this conversation with you guys and stuff we were talking about, um, I've been thinking about doing a series of shows on um, the the different flavors of, um, my gosh, my brain. This is what happens when you get old. Words just Agile. go... Agile. Agile. Thank you. God, I'm Agile. glad I invited Colin to the show tonight. You just saved my butt, friend. Um, so, yeah, Agile methodologies. So there's like five main ones. And what I was thinking was talking about those different methodologies, um, comparing and contrasting, um, and doing like a PM series. So I'm, I want to kind of gauge uh, interest in that. Is it worth doing, or would you guys rather see more programmy databasey things um well if you do it then you will have officially taught me more than four years at a four-year university so <laughs> i was taught agile exists i didn't know there were more than one <laughs> uh i think it would be really cool especially someone who's trying to get better at, at project management who i i absolutely just despise project management as like a as a thing just because that's not how my brain works um I'm much more of a shoot from the hip person and I'm trying to rewire some things, although nature doesn't really want to work with me on that, but it's, it is definitely, it would be more interesting to see like, how do people do it? Like you just like, how do we even do it to begin with? Right. Someone's like, I want to build a feature and like, I could break down a problem into like different things and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And how much I think they'll take, but that's not like, that's, that's where I'm at. Like in, even in those kind of hand wavy terms, it's like, all right, I can break down this and blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't have like a system or anything. And it would be really cool to learn um, about the systems that do exist and maybe how they can be applied. Okay, cool. That's great yeah. feedback. I, I was, I'll echo that whole thing. Cause yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. Uh, I'm not going to say where I was, but I was somewhere one time where we tried implementing several different strategies, things, and it was not, it wasn't fun for for me. Uh, I felt like I wait. I wasted a lot of time uh, writing little cards and allotting time to things and sliding cards around different levels and tracking real time to projected or estimated time. And I probably spent, you know, sixty percent of the time doing that versus programming. Uh, <laughs> And I didn't particularly find that fun. So I'd love to know like what the, what the better ways are to, to do that. And like, yeah. How do you successfully apply these things? Yeah. Right. Estimation too. I mean, cause I feel like that's always the hard one, right? Like, but if there's like different ways that they, the different agile methods, like prescribe doing estimation, that would especially be interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, hashtag no more estimates, but whatever. Yeah. Well, um, I don't believe in estimates. <laughs> I think. I think you might have even told me this when we first started like hanging out a bunch. I, I don't know if I'm pretty sure it was you, but I just double and add like half again to like whatever my yeah, initial that, estimation is. That's usually my method as well. It's like, okay, in my brain, I'm going to do this in an hour, but that's a freaking lie. 
So yeah, I, I double it or triple it or whatever. I pick some number depending on how confident I am in my initial, like initial idea of it. Yeah. And, and estimation definitely is much more of an art than a science. Um, no, it, it can't be terribly accurate with them. Um, but businesses have to have them to run business. There's kind of a, kind of a fine line. You got to, um, balance there. Can't, you can't not have estimates at all on a business. I mean, you have to estimate it's how budgets work, but you also can't expect estimates to be terribly, um, on point. You're talking about development because there's just always this little thing I didn't expect comes up or, you know, it, it was written this way in the glossy brochure, but that's not reality. You know, that that had just happens. Um, yeah, it's like the it's like the unknown unknowns, right? The unknown unknowns, and then there's yeah. the known unknowns. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Brittany, I would love to see a debate between someone who does agile versus shape up or Kanban. I think that's a fantastic idea. Somebody get on Twitter and challenge us to a debate, and we will have it. We will make it happen. I love it. Do it. Um, go to at Ducky Dev Show on Twitter and and throw me some some tweet love. Get it happening. Um, because I love that. All right. Um, so I think we're we're coming up on time here. Um, I have actually had a whole lot of fun tonight. This this was a pretty cool conversation. We will definitely be doing this again. Um. I'm really enjoying, I think, more having other people on the show that I can get to know and talk to with than trying to act all smart and stuff without other people. <laughs> yeah, I'm this, not. This has been, it's been a blast. Thanks, thanks for having us. Like this is yeah. super fun. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad, and we will I, I will definitely invite you guys on again because this is this is good conversations. Um, Maybe we can get you and Brittany all on the same time. May run out of screen real estate if I get too many people oh, going. Yeah, but... we should see, see how many we can do. We'll get a whole Brady bunch. <laughs> yeah, Brady, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Did, didn't uh, you say you had the Brady bunch theme stuck in your head before the call? Yeah, right? yeah. Did you say it? I see, did. It, it all yeah. comes full circle here. It's yep. meant to be. Well, so when you were creating the layout, that's what caused that to happen. Okay. Oh, um, yep, yep. See, <laughs> there it was. All right, so... Um, I won't do this to you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna sing the Brady Bunch theme in my head as we outro. Um, so you guys at at home, just you know, go ahead and sing that out loud. You know, um, universe might collapse. <laughs> All right. So I just want every, wait, can I say something, Chris? I gotta yeah, yeah. say something real quick. I gotta use your platform for a minute. For sure. I'm the president of the Brittany Martin fan club, and she keeps trying to say something else. But I want y'all to know that I am Brittany Martin's biggest fan. And if anyone else claims that, that title, I want to talk to them. <laughs> I don't know. You mean, okay, might have to fight, I'm Andrew. Sorry. I'm, you know, I, I thought I thought hey, she was man. awesome when she was here last week. So that, that was a good yeah. episode. That was yeah. that was a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, it was great. It was fun. You know, it, awesome. It was it was kind of weird because usually I'm the one having to do the interviewing, and um, you know, she she kind of ended up interviewing us. No, but that was that was really nah, nice because that's you know really. I, I, <laughs> I didn't have to think too hard. I just had to answer questions. It was great. Um, 
so anyway yeah i hope you guys enjoyed that we had a lot of fun um yeah we will we will try to get more other people on here um and we'll we'll definitely be doing this with you guys again uh sometime we'll cool. see if we can come up with some good topics um if you guys did enjoy that, please uh, mash that like button and consider subscribing if you're on YouTube or following if you are on Twitch. Um, it helps the channel out, but more importantly, it lets you know when we go live. That's just really important because if you're here chatting with us, things are way better. Um, if you really want to help the show, tell your lovely friends about it because I know you've got lovely friends because you're lovely people. Um, and you can find the podcast version of this as well as the videos on our website, uh, rubberduckdevshow.com. You can follow us on Twitter and talk to us there, at Ducky Dev Show. Uh, you can find the podcast everywhere that podcasts live. And we will see you next Wednesday night with a very surprise topic because we haven't figured out what we're going to do yet. Uh, but we will figure out, and if you follow nice. us over on Twitter, we'll, I'll, I'll try to remember to to use that that their Twitter thing and let you know what's coming up. Uh, yeah. So we will see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And until then, happy programming. Happy programming. Happy programming. Bye, chat.